Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we're going to be speaking with a really exciting founder, a founder that has been able to capture and see trends before anyone and even opening new markets there in, in Brazil. But I guess without further ado, I don't want to make anyone wait any longer. And I'd like to welcome our guest today, Roberto Oliveira. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alejandro. Nice to meet you. Nice. Thank you for having me here. It is a, gl- a great pleasure to be here. So born in Sao Paulo and then moved to Bello Horizonte. So tell us about life growing up in an in a entrepreneurial household. Yes, I born in a city that's called São José dos Campos. It's a kind of tech city here in Brazil. It's where we have Embraer, that's a, a very important Brazilian company. And there we have our Space Research National Institute is where my father work so um, my my father and my mother they met in Belo Horizonte that's the city that I live today and uh, uh, they decided to move as soon they got married they decided to move to São José dos Campos because my pai my father was invited to work on this Brazilian NASA that's called IMP so that's uh, where I started and uh, my father was a kind of scientist. He was working in, with those space research. They were trying to understand how to uh, make the understand the climate changes, how to project the climate, the, the weather. So that's the, the beginning of my life. So obviously, your first computer, you got it from your father as well. I mean, it's amazing, like the amount of influence that you receive from your father. I mean, someone that even before tech was a thing, I mean, he had his own tech company there in in Brazil. So, so what were some of those lessons that you learned from your dad that you definitely carried away, you know, as part of your own entrepreneurial journey? It was really interesting. First of all, to, to see a scientist here in, in Brazil. And so, for me to develop and try to create new things and understand how everything works was was it 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 was inside of my home. So 
every time my my father incentivizes me and my brother uh, to to work with tech and understand electronic engineering so he gave us a computer a computer in i think i was 10 years old and since of that we start to make some codes and uh, create some things and uh, he was working in this in imp the, the, the national space research institute but uh, when they decide to move back to belo horizonte that's the city that i live today he decides to start his company and he found a tech company and uh, he starts to build very interesting things. And uh, so it, it was a second part. The first time was to see uh, he working in this scientific thing and uh, talking about how to understand the space. And uh, it's really challengeable. And uh, after that, he became an entrepreneur and he started his company. And he uh, just uh, at the very beginning, he was able to close the first deals. I started to work with him. When I turned 15 years old, he started to take me to the company and I started to work with him. And, and it was very teachable for me. And I learned I really learned a lot of things with him. And this was a, definitely a really good combination that you did with your own studies in university because in university it was all about studying entrepreneurship. So uh, not a bad combination of both things, no? Yes, I work in, in his company. Uh, and uh, before the university, I, I studied uh, electronic. So I became uh, a technician, an electronic technician. And I was working with manufacturing some electronic products with him. After that, I, I went to the electronic engineering too at the university. But when I was at the university, I was having the engineering disciplines, but I started to have some classes of entrepreneurship. And I started to study something about marketing, about sales. And uh, I started to ask him and incentivize him to invest in marketing, sales, and do everything that all regular companies do. But uh, he, he is very conservative and he is a, a, basically a scientist, a tech guy that prefer to, to work and build their products and sell in, in a not so much aggressive strategy. And uh, so it, it was a kind of frustration for me because I was not able to convince him to, to, to invest in this marketing and sales. So I started to think in creating my, my own company. So, and uh, as soon I finished the university, uh, I created my first company. Very nice. Yeah, that was a mobile phone store. So let's talk about the retail of, of selling mobile phones. And this was your first baby after coming out of university. Tell us about starting this business, which I, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how you have always been in the family or with family uh, when building companies. But tell us about this first rodeo. I had two partners in this one. One is uh, one of my uncles, um, my my father brother, 
and uh, a friend that I met in Brazilian arm. That was a very interesting time because the mobile phone it was not uh, as it is today. It, it, it was the very beginning. It was 1997. And uh, it was basically used to make phone calls. Uh, but um, somehow, I don't know why, we, we really understood that it could be a very big market. And uh, we had a very good start selling mobile phones. And it made us to, to get very close to the mobile carriers. So we start because... We were very successful. We became the second most important reseller here in our town. And because of that, we, we became very close off the mobile cares. And they start to, to incentivize us to build other things. So uh, they introduced us to Nokia. That was that time the main mobile phone manufacturer. And at that time, we create our second company that's called Phonica, that was um, a Nokia service center. And we became very close to Phonica, of Nokia too. And because of those relationships, we, we decided to create Take, that's our, the company that we are discussing today. So then let's talk about Take, because obviously with Take, you know, having that access, being able to listen, being able to see the market unfold. One thing that you were able to really accomplish there and, and envision was a world in Brazil where you could bring the first mobile internet company. So how was that? Yes, uh, we were very close to Nokia. Nokia was pushing uh, WAP, a wireless application protocol that was a technology that was the first attempt to create the mobile internet. And at the same time, the mobile carriers were investing on digital networks, telling. So both the mobile carriers and, the, and, and Nokia started to talk about the mobile internet. And that time was 1999, and um, we were living the internet bubble. So there were a lot of excitement around the internet. And we decided to bet that probably that technology could work and, and we would help uh, to build the mobile internet. But what happened was that WAP didn't work, but we were very lucky because the people from Nokia, they asked us why not to build a ringtone download platform. So they came to us and said, as you are talking about mobile internet, why not to create a down, ringtone download platform? They said that as you, you, you are working with WAP, probably you are able to build this ringtone download platform. So we decided to invest that. And one thing that's really interesting is that that time we were very close to the consumers because of the stores. We had 10 retail stores, and we were having the feeling of the people using the phones. So when they came to us to talk about ringtone, we made a test inside the store, showing the consumers the possibility of downloading a ringtone. And we got a very good feedback from them. 
So we decided to, to invest and, and create the platform, and we were very successful with that. We, when we created the platform, we started to, 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 build, to build the platform in 1999. In 2001, we, f- we made the first ringtone downloads. We got the monopoly here. We closed deals with 13 mobile carriers, and we were able to grow at a 250% growth, annual growth rate uh, from 2001 to 2005. So it was a very, very interesting and exciting moment for us that time. And this was also your first experience raising money because there was a Japanese company that came knocking. What happened there? Yes, that's interesting because uh, we were approached by more than seven investors and we tried to raise money with seven investors and uh, it didn't work. I think that it was because the company was really growing very fast. And we received this offer from a Japanese company, but they decided to buy 100% of the company. So in March of 2005, we sold 100% of the company for $35 US million that time. It was a very good deal that time. I mean, this was all pretty much bootstrap. So you hadn't raised any money and it was pretty much all, all going to your pockets. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, That's it, amazing. It was uh, too much money to don't sell the company. Yeah. So then what happened after this? Yeah. So after that, we using this money, we created another other company. So we found Minutrade. That's a company that works with uh, micro rewards. And uh, today is a very good and important company here in Brazil, too. We found Confrapar, that's a venture capital firm. And through Confrapar, we already invest in more than 20 companies. And in 2008, we bought Backtake. Very nice. And so tell us about this, because it's, it's, it's strange. When you sell your company and you buy the company again, I mean, what, what prompted you guys to do that? Yes, uh, it, it's it's funny because we were not waiting for that. It it was a completely surprise for us. But the Japanese they called us, telling that they have thirty days to sell the company, sell the company back to us. After we sold, the ringtone market crashed in all of the world because of a technology change and the business model change. So. They were suffering. They had bought companies in USA, in Europe, in China, in, in other countries. So they started to suffer a lot, including in Japan. So in 2008, they decided to sell all the foreign companies that they had bought and try to reinvent the company in Japan. So when they called us, they already sell it. Uh, the other companies and the take was the last one. And so uh, we said, we can sell the company for you because the company is very good. But they said, we don't have time. So I'm, go- I'm taking a, fly- a flight and I'm going to-, to Belo Horizonte. So they came and we closed the deal in a week. So it was a very fast decision. And uh, at the first time, it was a surprise. But after, after that, we saw as an opportunity. We liked a lot the people. We liked a lot the platforms that we had, and uh, we bought back, and it was a very good uh, decision. Wow. 
So then what happened after? Because obviously you bought the company back and then in 2014, there's a big breakthrough moment where literally you guys create a new vision for this. Yes, exactly. So we bought back in 2008 and uh, we were able to make the company grow again, uh, basically uh, building SMS apps. And uh, But in 2014, we really had an important moment in take where we decided to bet in a vision that the messaging platforms like WhatsApp probably will become the next most important channels for brands interact with consumers. So we realized at that time that uh, if they open an API and, and, and allow us to help the brands to do the same kind of things that we, we were doing when we were selling ringtones in 2001, probably we will be able to create some amazing things. So we invented a concept that we called an intelligent contact because we understand that uh, those channels are conversational and in the digital world, the conversations happen between two contacts. And from now, the contacts inside those messages are the, the next and the new digital assets that all the brands will need to have. So. We propose a new architecture based in a strategy where instead to think in an omni-channel strategy, you think in a one-contact architecture. And using our platform, you can you are able to build this uh, digital asset, this content, and publish this this content in all the conversational channels like WhatsApp, like. Apple Business Chat, like Google Business Message, like Google Assistant, like SMS, like your website, like your app. So uh, we started to work in this platform in 2014. We create some solutions using web views, but in 2016, Facebook opened the Facebook Messenger and we created the first big cases with big enterprises on Facebook Messenger. And in August 1st of 2018, the original vision realized with WhatsApp opening their APIs. And since that, we start to grow in a very fast pace again. And uh, we are living an amazing momentum now. We double our revenue from 2018 to 2019. We double again from 2018 to 2020. And our expectation to, is to double again in 2021. So that is the momentum that we are living here. Well, doubling is definitely um, a good thing. So I guess just so obviously the, the model of the business has, has changed quite a bit since you guys started. Uh, and obviously now, you know, after the new vision and, and the new events that have happened. So what ended up becoming the business model of take and how do you guys make money for the people that are listening to get it? Yes, uh, our business model is based in monthly active users or monthly active subscribers or consumers that interact with your contacts through one of those channels. So for each consumer that interacts in, with your contacts, 
inside WhatsApp or Google Business Message or in any other channel, we charge a very small fee. And we are able to transform all those conversations in just one conversation that we call infinite thread or infinite conversation that each brand can have and keep this conversation running using our platform. So in this case, for you guys, obviously, the you know, just really recently, I mean, Warburg Pinkers just made a, a pretty big investment. So, um, so why did you decide that it was a time to, to raise some money for this? The company Red has a, a very good size. We are generating $40 million in uh, recurring revenue uh, ARR. And uh, as I told, we are doubling this this revenue, so we expect at the end of the next year to be generating more than eighty million dollars as a recurring revenue. And uh, we are doing that only in Brazil. And uh, what we are seeing is this solution working in any part of the world. And we are we were receiving very good feedbacks from our partners. So. One thing that's really interesting is that at the beginning, our partners were the mobile carriers. And now our partners are Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft. So we have a very good relationship with all those big tech companies and they are channels. And we are able to publish a brand content in any part of the world inside those channels so we we decide we are seeing a so big opportunity that's much bigger than we saw when we start to do ringtones or when we were working with sms now we are really seeing something that's really big and we understand that we have a, a, a very good product with a unique architecture and it can work in all of the world. So we look for some money. We had the help of uh, some investment banks. We received a very good feedback during the process too. And we were able to raise these this rounds. And we are really excited. And uh, we have a lot of things to do. We will push really hard to accelerate the product roadmap. We are investing a lot in, in our marketing sales team too. So we intend to to accelerate and and create something that could be really big. And uh, probably you know that this market is really exciting. It is really active this time. Uh, you saw that Salesforce bought Slack, Facebook bought Customer, Cisco bots, I am mobile, and uh, it's a lot of things happening in the sector. So where do you think that the market is, is going as a whole, Roberto? Yes, our vision is that, as I told, for us, the smart content is the new digital assets that all the brands will need to have. So at the beginning of the web, the first digital assets that any brand uh, decides to create or invest was a website. And today you have more than 200 
million active websites in the web. Uh, in the smartphone era, um, the companies start to build another digital asset that are the mobile apps. And so almost all the brands invested in are working in their uh, mobile apps. And now we have no doubt that all the brands, doesn't matter the size, if it's a huge mobile care or a huge bank, or is a small retail store, a local retail store, we really believe that all those brands will have a smart contact. And the right way to look to that and work with that is using what we call a software mindset and uh, implement uh, uh, a process where it's uh, each month you launch a new version and you are building assets so you are working in lots of integrations lots of automations lot of workflows to be able to deliver a good experience for their their for their customers so we believe in our vision all the brands in all of the world will have a smart contact and um, we think that our product has a unique architecture that's really working here in Brazil and we can have a good amount of brands as our clients. Probably a million of brands will be using our platform. So today we have just 1,000 paying clients, but uh, what we are seeing is something that could be really big. So in this case, for you guys, we take, Roberto, anything that you can share around, uh, perhaps like to give an idea of the size of the company, I mean, anything that you can share on maybe like number of employees or anything else? Yes, we have around 500 employees today. Uh, more than half of that uh, are on the product team. So we are investing a lot in the evolution of the platform. And we have an amazing roadmap or roadmap. And every day we are receiving other feedbacks, other asks, so a lot of things to do with the product. And uh, we are investing a lot in a service team too that can help the brand with best practices and deliver a good support and a good customer success too. So if you had the opportunity, Roberto, let's say you go into, into a time machine uh, and that time machine takes you to that moment in time when you know, you were perhaps coming out of out of university, that moment where you mm. had the experience of working with your father, you had the uh, perhaps the dogmatic approach that they taught you in university and and you were ready to launch your your first your first baby, your first company. If you had the opportunity to have a chat with that younger Roberto and and have that ear of that younger self. And we know that obviously our younger selves probably wouldn't listen. But let's say that younger Roberto was inclined to listen to what you have to say. If you were able to really give that younger Roberto one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, based on what you know now? Yes, here in Brazil, we have, I, it, this, I think this, this answer should be different if I'm talking with a Brazilian entrepreneur or if I'm talking with a global entrepreneur. But for Brazilian, I have specific case because Brazil is a unique country. It's not easy to, to build those kind of companies here in Brazil. Uh, 
So I, I always suggest to them to really take care of the cash flow and be able to keep everything organized and don't forget to take care of the cash flow and keep all the accountables and be ready for a due diligence. But in, in a global perspective, what I like to say is that the most important thing for all the companies uh, is to start having a client. Because if you have a client, you can uh, implement a strategy doing customer development and uh, implement what I call a short feedback loop process. And, and as we are talking about software companies, I, as I suggest to all the brands that they need to look to their smart contract as a digital asset, and they, have, they need to have a software mindset and m make the evolution using a short feedback loop. I think that today, I believe that's, that is the only uh, way to build a software company is to really uh, work in, in a process, getting a lot of feedback from your users and uh, uh, implement this short feedback loop. At the beginning, we, sp we spent more than a year uh, creating the, the first platform. It was successful, but uh, when we launched it, we started to, to learn a lot of other things from the clients. And then if we start to do that earlier, it would be better. So this is super interesting. And, you know, one of the mistakes that entrepreneurs always make is, for example, the other day I was speaking with an entrepreneur and he was showing me this platform that he has spent I think it was over a million dollars and he was super excited. And I asked him and I said, how many potential customers have you spoken with to, to build this? And he said, zero. And I, and I just couldn't believe it, right? Because I think that that's one of the biggest problems, which is that founders make, which is you, they build based on assumptions rather than based on data. So I'm sure that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are probably listening to us now and and listening to what you're saying around the feedback loop, which I think is critical, if you had to perhaps go a little bit deeper into this uh, and perhaps make it a little bit more tangible and visible to them, what does an effective short feedback loop look like? If you can collect and organize information about the interactions. so. And the one thing that uh, this uh, new conversational internet has that is really interesting is that uh, in the, for the first time on the internet story, you have a channel where you can use not only software or technology to deliver an answer or an interaction with a consumer, but you can use people to human agents because. You can use human to, to answer some interactions. So what we are doing, usually we suggest the brands to start as fast as possible, publishing their uh, smart content and use people to deliver the, the first interactions. And uh, we and the other thing that's really interesting is that it's a textual conversation. It's the consumer are really saying what they want. So using an analytics, uh, our technology, you can really understand exactly what the people are saying. 
so we can have a very real feedback about everything that your your consumer is telling to your brand so you can uh, organizing the, this information you can you can get a lot of insights and priorize your roadmap of automations and other new things that you want to launch uh, basing this real data so I don't know if uh, I, uh, it's tangible for you, but uh, I think uh, all this new world and all the companies that have been able to really build very interesting things, they are implementing this uh, process where they are very focusing on understand how the consumers are interacting with their products and implement this fast evolution based and launching new things that they understand that could be good because of the insights that they got from the analyzing the interactions. That's very, very profound. And I'm sure that the people that are listening are really going to appreciate that, Roberto. So the, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, just send me an email. My email is very easy. It's roberto at take.net. Amazing. Well, Roberto, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you, Alejandro. It was a great pleasure for me. And uh, I like a lot your podcast. I'm reading all your episodes. So thanks for having me here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.